Has inflation peaked? Is the bear market over? What's next for gold, silver, and oil? Going to discuss all of this and more with my guest today, Crestcat Capital Portfolio Manager, Tavi Costa. Today's podcast is sponsored by TradeStation and FTSE Russell. Currently, TradeStation is running a promo just for our audience. New users are going to get 50% off brokerage fees for the lifetime of their account using the promo code F-U-T-R-A-F-Z-T. I put that in the chat. Uh, as long as they open an account by July 31st, you can go to tradestation.com slash Anthony to learn more. Are you watching the stock market, specifically the Russell 2000? The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol RTY and micro E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol M2K. To learn more about FTSE Russell and their products, please visit footsierussell.com. Tavi, how are you, my friend? Anthony, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. I remember when you and I talked last time, I'm not exactly sure when it was, it was probably just about a year ago. And I remember the title of the show was uh, something about uh, is inflation coming like in a big way we were talking about it, right? And you were way ahead of most people saying that inflation is going to get a lot worse than you think. Uh, and you were right. And um we're going to talk about some things also today uh, that I think maybe didn't work out as well. Maybe we'll talk about gold and silver as well, but maybe those trades aren't over yet. But the first thing I want to talk about, and I think that, and I'm going to actually, I put this out there for everybody uh, also. And if you guys are listening, just participate in this. Let us know what you think. Do you think inflation has peaked? Um, I, I think we're in a very similar setup that we saw back in this late 60s and 70s when we had a three waves of inflation. And so basically inflation started really in the late sixties, developed all the way, made the very first peak. Uh, and then, and then it came down a little bit. Then we had another inflationary peak, uh, in the late, in the mid seventies and then the late seventies. And I think we're seeing most of the first wave. Um, I think it's, uh, quite interesting how CPI data is, is, is actually lagging uh, in my opinion, a lot of what's going on. I mean, first of all, it was lagging in 2021. Uh, in other words, uh, very clearly, we've had a lot of leading indicators showing that inflation was uh, much higher than it was being reported. And it is higher than what is reported right now. But my point is that I think inflation, you know, if you look at the latest CPI print for June, uh, I believe it was the highest uh, print on a month over month basis since 2005. And I don't think in the last two to three years, at least, uh, well, since we've seen inflation picking up, uh, inflation's uh, the June print should have been the largest. I think it was maybe March when we had the invasion of uh, Russia in Ukraine. And so I think I think inflation is, is here to stay. I think we're in the inflationary environment, but uh, we're going to go through waves. And I think we've seen most of the first wave. Um, you know, I'm happy to change my opinion on that. If we see commodities trading higher, uh, again, uh, and surging to, uh, to levels, uh, in, you know, that we never, that we haven't seen in the last uh, three to four months, I, you know, I'm happy to change my opinion on that. But, uh, I do think that, uh, it's scary that the fed is getting more aggressively in terms of the, the hiking and, and the tightening of monetary conditions, uh, using those those more lagging indicators instead of uh, other things. And so I, I think the consumption of households in general is about to fall off a cliff. 
And, and that's what really concerns me. And I think that's the, the next uh, uh, articles and newspapers are going to be mostly about, in my opinion, about the rising fall of the consumer. And uh, that's, to me, what's, uh, what's ahead of us. Everybody, uh, I asked a question uh, to Tavi and all of you. Just put it in the chat, yes or no. Do you think inflation has peaked? I'm curious to see what you guys think as well. So, Tavi, I'm actually going to go to your Twitter account too. I want to show everybody this, I think, because we're talking about commodities. We're talking about inflation. Let's add this to the stream and take a look here. Um, you put this out the other day. You said commodity prices. Actually, you might have even put it out today. No, it was yesterday. Commodity prices adjusted for money supply is one of the most important charts in the current macro environment. Not the time to be shaken out of tangible assets. I think that feeds right into what we're talking about here. Talk to us about this chart and what, what we're seeing here that you put on Twitter. Well, I'm just absolutely tired of seeing folks doing analogies uh, or using comparisons of 2008 with today's environment, which I think it's it's uh, uh, severely different. I mean, uh, you know, just from a, a capex trends that we've been early on using as as part of our argument for you know what I think it's you know most of the the the, the cycles on commodities are predicated on long-term cycles of capex among producers and the larger companies. And clearly when we had in 08 was a peak of, of investments in infrastructure and, and other things, and especially uh, merging acquisitions that happened at that time. And today we're quite at the opposite of that. And so, uh, and then you can add the political effort uh, against uh, uh, you know, with the green revolution against uh, the development of, of natural resource projects. And so, to me, we're at the beginning of a cycle for tangible assets. We're at the beginning of uh, a time when you want to be owning commodities. Uh, and when you have, uh, you know, as you know very well, I mean, there's always new narratives that are going to be emerging as we get sell-offs in, in markets. And the new narrative is that recession will uh, probably kill the demand for commodities. And uh, to be, you know, to be frank, when you look back in, in other times in, in terms of the demand, implied demand uh, for commodities, especially oil, it's not really that heavily impacted as, as a lot of people think it will be. Uh, it's, it's, you know, in, in the COVID crash, it certainly was. But during other recessions like 08 and, and 2000, imply demand actually did not decrease um, uh, as, as much as, as, as a lot of people are, uh, you know, commenting about those, uh, those assets. And so I think it's a lot more inelastic demand-wise. And so um, the, the supply side, we know it's very constrained. And it, when you see cyclical commodities declining as they did recently, I think it's more of a reflection of how demand is about to fall off a cliff than, uh, you know, concerns about commodity markets. And I've been in, in the, the camp of, of, I believe strongly, it's time to be buying the dip in commodities every time you get one. And here we are. We just got a dip. Uh, a lot of commodities have sold off significantly. Some of those are down over double, you know, over double digits. And so... Uh, you know, or over 20%, I should say. And so it's, it's pretty clear to me that it's, uh, if you were of, of, uh, a believer of, uh, of, of the thesis that we are in an inflationary environment and uh, also we're misallocated of, of capital towards uh, things like commodities, I, I do think we're about to see a transition towards uh, that allocation. And, and again, this is not just a, a capital trend, it's also a labor trend uh, where we've seen uh, not enough folks uh, really interested in geology and geosciences. And so we don't have a lot of folks uh, really studying 
uh, and becoming new geologists. And so uh, this is creating a lot of inefficiencies in those markets. And so there's a lot of ways to capitalize on those trends uh, in, in the near future. Let's let's pull up some commodities and just take a look at the charts here just for some reference. Is there anything in, in specific you want me to put up, maybe an index, something that we could just take a peek at? Well, I think copper has been, you know, when you look at the, the signals in the economy, copper is perhaps one of the most important ones. It's been uh, uh, recently uh, collapsed, right? And uh, to me, uh, for a, you know, we know for a fact that the, the supply side of copper is, is very tight. Um, and so to see you know, such a decline in, 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 in the metal is, is a, a clear uh, reflection of where demand is likely to be. And you know, it's important to just give you another way of, of thinking about this is I remember the pre-COVID times, there were no issues with labor markets, right? We didn't have a shortage of labor markets. This is all news to us uh, when it comes to you know, the, the shortage of folks. Uh, uh, working at, at companies and companies, you know, you look, look at job openings at, at record levels right now. Now, to me, this is more of an issue of the level of the stimulus that we saw from governments uh, in, in not only in the U.S., but globally that really increase uh, economic activity to levels that we haven't seen in the past. You know, when you go and you deplete savings, saving rates by about five trillion dollars in a 20 trillion dollar economy, Clearly, you're adding a lot of uh, a lot of consumption, and therefore economic activity should surge. And that's precisely what we saw in 2021. And as you're coming out of a recession, you create those those imbalances in labor markets. Now, that's not sustainable, right? And we're not seeing the same degree of stimulus that we saw back then. In fact, if you look at savings rates today, they're not at 35 percent relative to disposable incomes. It's it's closer to four percent now which is actually close to a historical low. And so, you know, those changes are actually a lot more important because I, it's hard to believe uh, we're going to have the same level of economic activity we saw in 2021. And so labor markets are lagging uh, as usual. Uh, and I'm, I'm still, I think we're yet to see those, those changes when it comes to uh, precisely with, with corporate earnings um, you know, mortgage rates increasing, you have saving rates uh, declining, you have consumer sentiment collapsing. Um, and so all those things, the dollar surging, uh, all those things should have an impact on corporate earnings that should then feed into uh, the problems with labor markets. And that's to me, it's, you know, I think the economy is going to be in a very tough place in about six months from now. You know, it's so funny, Tavi, how psychology plays such an important role in so much of what we do with trading, right? When you look at um, where we were just maybe, let's just say even a few weeks ago where, you know, inflation's running, you know, super hot, right? You, you get everybody so worried about equities. Um, everyone's still thinking that, you know, you want to be buying the dips in commodities. And then you have one rally in equities. You have a dip, obviously, in, in, in commodities. And, and nobody wants to be a part of what they thought was the right trade right when they get the opportunity to be in it. So like all of a sudden I see everybody's bullish equities, right? Everybody is bearish commodities and inflation is is peaked. It's pretty much over. Don't worry about anything. And, and nothing's really changed except the price movement in equities. It's, you know, the equity rally, it's amazing how much it changes sentiment, but that's, you know, that's, that's what trading is, right? I mean, um, we, we follow price. We understand that, but it is incredible to me how different the narrative is. And it's like, 
and I listen to you and, and you sit back and that's why I like speaking with you. You look at it on the big picture and you think to yourself, okay, you know, what's really going on here? You're not just changing it just in a second here. You're allowing this, you're looking at this whole thing um, in, in a, at a much bigger view. Um, and I, I guess really kind of brings me to the next thing. So obviously you're, you're thinking that I want to talk about two things here, actually. Um, thoughts on the rally in stocks um, and with thoughts about the, the pullback like we've seen in commodities. You think that these are just um, mean reversion moves and still what you think to be primary trends? Yes or no? I do. Okay. I mean, it's, 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 it's important to, and some commodities may react differently, but I think your, your goal as an investor is to accumulate assets uh if if they get cheaper if you liked copper you know 30 days ago you should love it at at, at these levels that you are right now um narratives change over time right i mean i remember coming out of of the of the uh the pandemic crisis when we saw you know especially to me what was was uh very telling was doing research uh of, you know going back to the 1919 spanish flu and seeing clearly that the 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 inflationary problem we had uh right after the pandemic and uh, uh to me it was very clear uh that we're going to see something similar uh but but it, it wasn't as clear for for other people and one of the big narratives at the time was the money velocity you remember that very well everyone was saying well money velocity is too low how 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 come you can have inflation uh and that then shifted and then we had inflation and then the the new narrative was well, it's then, okay, we have inflation. Uh, now it's transitory. Um, and, and then it wasn't. And then, and then it turned into, okay, we do have inflation. It's more persistent. But that's good for equity markets. And it wasn't. And then, exactly. and then now you have, you know, oh, now we have a, a, a recessionary problem. And, you know, uh, I should say now, now everyone is back to the inflation camp and majority of people would agree that we have an inflation problem right at a time when we may see consumer and consumption in general fall off a cliff. And that's where you, your focus should be. So, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty clear. I mean, I, yeah, while I am in an inflation camp, I think the big story is going to be on consumption and economic activity and labor markets deteriorating over time because we are in a vicious stagflationary environment. And, um, you know, I don't know if copper could decline more. I, I have no idea. But, um, you know, we buy businesses that we think um, are, are, you know, operate very well in this in this in this environment. And we think, uh, you know, at these prices, uh, they are uh, really cheap right now, extremely undervalued. And so we're back to, you know, energy companies. If you haven't built your position in energy company and missed the whole rally that we've had, the market's giving you another opportunity recently. Uh, but probably a lot of people will wait for another breakout to uh, to then add the position. So, you know, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, it's it's how markets work usually. So those those changes in narratives are, are important. And I think there's a lot of new narratives today uh, they're going to be probably proven wrong. And so just like they were back in 2020, and some of them are uh, concerns about, you know, commodities, I think are going to be another one. You know, now you got people uh, getting into the dollar trend, um, the, the dollar trade in general. I, I don't think that that's, you know, that's the time to be doing that. Um, 
So those are my concerns. I think I think there's a lot of interesting setups here for uh, to make money, and uh, commodities is just one of them. You mentioned that you think that we are in a vicious, uh, stagflationary environment. What typically happens in that type of an environment in the markets? Well, while I love looking back in history, and I think there are a lot of good analogies, the 40s, the 70s, um, and the late 90s, um, I think we're kind of in a mix of all those. You know, the 70s, you've had, you know, you, you can look back during the inflationary environment. So let's answer your question first. Inflationary environments where we had CPI above 6% for the entire decade in, in the median terms. And uh, those were... Uh, really the 70s and the 1910s. The 1940s, we didn't see that throughout the whole decade, but we saw a sporadic increase of inflation. But if you use the three decades, just for the sake of the argument here, uh, the things that we saw those times was really uh, real, real rates were deeply negative and tangible assets outperformed financial assets. The difference of those times that we have today is that financial assets are way more overvalued than they were in the 70s, 40s, or 1910s. It would give you another reason to believe that tangible assets will really outperform financial assets. And so to me, positioning starts there. I wanted to be long what I think are going to be um, you know, the most uh, attractive tangible assets in the future uh, through businesses or actual physical commodities. Um, and I want to be hedging that position with short uh what I think are going to be short uh, uh, opportunities in in financial assets that I believe are very expensive. And so we're going to see a change in capital flows from one to another. That transition should uh, also cause the, you know, the ratio of tangible assets to financial assets to uh, uh, to to increase over time. And so to me, that's the focus, you know, five to 10 years from now. Um, and, and that positioning in portfolio will change over time. So now, that we had such a big move in, in commodities to the downside, you know, you increase your allocation in, in, in those. Um, that's what we've been doing. And um, and now we're seeing, again, the increase in, in, in uh, equity markets actually appreciating. So, you know, we, we've, been, uh, we've been taking some action now too. Systematically, as the markets goes higher in financial assets in general, we've been increasing our shorts. That's our hedge uh, of an inflationary book. Uh, and so... Uh, to me, that's that's really uh, where we are. But but it's it's important to remember. I think we're facing a trifecta of macro imbalances. We have the 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 debt problem of the 40s, with the inflation problem of the 70s, with the valuation problem of the of the late 90s and the late 20s. And so the three uh, imbalances really create real political constraints, and will put the Fed soon in a in a policy dilemma, in my opinion, uh, which. Is you know how much can they really sustainably raise rates to fight inflation over time? And the answer is, in my opinion, is is they can't really do much because the global economy and the U.S. economy really cannot sustain these levels of of, of tightening in monetary conditions. Well, that's going to bring me to my next question: um, What will the Fed do next week? What do you think? I think the Fed will keep uh, uh, raising rates aggressively and. Be- between 75 and 100 basis points, I don't have a view, uh, but I think we'll keep uh, raising rates aggressively because it's uh, usually uh, those guys are late to the party and, and they're trying to aggressively 
uh, tighten uh, conditions at a time when inflation is already decelerating. Um, and so it's going to exacerbate the, the, uh, what I think it's going to be the downturn in economic activity. And, um, and so, you know, the tough part is that, you know, sure, you know, it's becoming more of a mainstream view, the recession risk. Uh, and so positioning becomes a little harder to make money on, uh, especially with shorts, uh, as we see, you know, uh, shorts getting squeezed to the upside. And so it's, it's been, uh, uh, it's it's not very easy to to position in this market right now. But um, uh, despite those those problems, I think I think economic activity seems pretty clear to me that we're going to see a significant decline uh, because of the uh, of those of those issues. And so um, I think the Fed uh, at some point, and I don't know when. I'm very focused, and that's uh, I think gold is going to signal that very well. Uh, once we start seeing the real risk of uh, of a reversal or a pause in, in interest rates, uh, in interest rate hikes, I think gold is going to signal that very clearly, um, and uh, it's, it's going to be pushing a lot higher. But um, no, we were gold was at all time highs not too long ago, um, and uh, and I think we could see that again. Um, but um, you know, we've had a, such a severe level of uh, reversal in terms of the the policy stance of the Federal Reserve from doubling their balance sheet and slashing rates to zero to now depleting their their balance sheet assets and increasing rates to a degree that we haven't seen in the last two to three decades. And so, you know, it's, it's unfortunately no surprise that gold is getting, is getting hit in those, in those, in those yeah. months. And so, uh, but I think that's sustainable. If you believe they can keep going here sustainably, and I think you want to be short gold, but it's just not my view. Over time, I think we're going to see uh, them walking away from those. And uh, just one more point, Anthony. It's so important to remember what happened in 73, 74. You know, equity markets had a decline about 48% to really make inflation or CPI to enter a downward trend of for two to three years until we saw inflation come roaring back again in the late 70s. And so, you know, I think I think we're going to have to see something along those lines to stop inflation. So, um, you know, tighten your seatbelts, in my opinion. Explain the Fed mandate with the two percent. You know, I'm not a macro guy. A lot of people always ask me about this, and you think that the Fed's going to continue to uh, aggressively increase interest rates, um, and obviously they have a mandate. And, and you've also mentioned how you believe that they are behind the curve there. Just talk to everybody, you know, just explain this, I think, just in simple terms for everybody can understand how, uh, at what point they would recognize that the Fed has achieved their mandate and just talk to us about what that mandate is. It's 2%. Well, the history of the Fed is that if they don't achieve the, ma the, the mandate, they change the mandate. So there's a, <laughs> exactly. I think there's a high probability, you know, the 2% might be raised to 4 or whatever. Um, yeah. And so... I think there's a very big chance that that may happen, especially if we have CPI at, let's call it 6%, and we start seeing an increase in unemployment rates, which is, again, a lagging indicator. But, you know, if it's six months from now, we start seeing unemployment rates rise or, or very, you know, real signs of deterioration in, in labor markets, um, they're going to be in a, in a box, right? I mean, what, what are they going to do? Uh, and so... Uh, they won't be able to tighten conditions the same way. And so it's going to be clear that they're going to have to, uh, um, you know, either change their mandate or their messaging 
um, and and uh, to the markets. And so that's yet you know to come. And uh, um, you know I, I think I mean I now I wish you know they would be looking at a lot of the leading indicators because it, it seems pretty clear that we're going to see a, a big declining. You know right now we're seeing most of that in earnings releases coming from. Um, guidance. It's not really actual earnings collapsing or anything like that just yet. Um, and we've seen most of this happening in, in, in real terms, right? So nominal terms are still growing, but in real terms, we're contracting because inflation is outpacing growth. Um, and a lot of folks are now also changing the definition of recession because it doesn't fit their narrative to say, well, we've got two quarters of real growth uh, contracting, uh, you know, we're technically in a recession, but uh, but no, we're going to change this because unemployment rate is too low. And now this is a better way to measure uh, the technical term of, of being in a recession. So, you know, just watch all those narratives, you know, because they're they're exactly. all everyone's talking about those things. And I hear that all the time now. And it's it's hard to believe margins are going to not going to contract because inflation at the very early stages of inflation, you see businesses passing that on to the consumer. Uh, I think that's the first step. And, and, and so you see a surge in earnings and that's what we saw in, in the first quarter of, or the first six months of 2021. But then that doesn't last too long because the consumer starts realizing that they're, you know, that they're, they're basically getting squeezed. So they start asking for larger wages and salaries. That's what we saw in, second half of, of 2021. Um, and then with that, you have also interest rates rising. So the cost of, of capital begins to rise uh, and, and the cost of materials rise too. So companies begin to get a little bit squeezed. And so the, the growth in earnings begins to decelerate. That's what we saw in the second part of 2021. And then now in 2022, what I think it's ahead of us is that uh, even higher uh, amount of squeezes in, in margins uh, because uh, wages and salaries should not stop from uh, in terms of the pressure from consumers. Um, and uh, I, I don't think cost of capital will also re relieve any, 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 any type of uh, you know, major decline in terms of interest rates. And so we, you know, if we have a, 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 a severe decline of consumption now, now we have, you know, a, a, now a large uh, contraction in earnings as well. So, to me, that's what's probably ahead of us here. On top of you got tightening at levels that we haven't seen in the last three decades. So all those those uh, variables are, are playing uh, in, into the same side of the, the equation here, which is, uh, you know, I think a, a decline in, in earnings. You know, it's so funny that you mentioned how they're changing what they uh, what the definition would be of a recession. I have seen this multiple times on the news networks. I don't watch a ton of news e uh, either, but I've happened to, to be watching it. I think it was a Sunday I was watching something and somebody from uh, the Biden administration was talking about, well, we're not technical. That, that definition of a recession, that's technically not right. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where you know, uh, this, that's not my cup of tea. That's not what I do anyway. But you are so right and amazing how the Fed, they change their mandate. That's why the dot plots have been just the biggest joke of all time, really. I mean, they, they never truly follow them. They change their mandates. They're doing this, you know, as we go. They don't know how it's going to end. And now you're seeing just trying to change uh, what, what a recession is and all these other things. And it's scary to me because it's just trying to instill confidence into something that's just not there. We never let anything ever resolve itself. Yeah. 
you know, that's what it feels like to me, you know, and, and like I said, this is not my world. I'm, I'm just a trader, you know, I'm more of a price follower. You know, I follow guys like you to understand that stuff, but it's, it's amazing to me that we just, nothing ever lets itself get resolved. Um, we just keep pushing things down the road and changing the rules along the way. And as traders or in investors, it's difficult because, you know, if I don't bring you on today, you know, I, I'd be the first to admit, it's like when I see the price action go up in stocks, it starts coming down in, in the commodities. You talk about copper, you're like, well, could the bear market be over? You know, you just start thinking because the price action's changed, but we lose sight of what's happening around us, right? And I've always told traders, you got to look beyond it. And what I'm getting from you uh, uh, so far is that basically nothing's gotten really better. Price action might have changed. Uh, and it's just part of what happens in markets, right? Nothing goes in a straight line. We are just in an area where we're rotating. Um, and and what we saw earlier in the year probably is going to continue uh, towards the end of the year. And we're just in a pause or mean reversion type uh, cycle right now. Well, you know, the, the box that the Fed is in is 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 that, you know, if, if there is any sort of softness as, as far as the message that they are delivering to markets when it comes to uh, tightening conditions, um, you know, it's hard to believe, you know, commodities wouldn't rally along with overall equity market. And so that would, you know, again, cause the issue with uh, uh, of, you know, then I'll, I would be wrong. I would change my view as far as uh, we are in the first you know, still in the first wave of accelerating wave of the first i'm sorry of the first inflationary wave and so um i'm happy to change my opinion on that i mean i'm positioned for that i actually kind of hope that that happens but uh um you know it's it's not up to me and i it's surprising to see you know still you know back in the days back in the 70s if you look at earnings especially in the first wave of inflation you know earnings contracted almost 30 percent during that time in real terms Right now, if you look at estimates for the S&P, uh, I believe uh, just looking at two years ahead, uh, they're expecting somewhere close to 35 to 40 percent increase, uh, you know, or 20 plus percent in two years in uh, about 15 or so percent this year. So it is it is severe. And uh, <laughs> I'm not sure we're going to see that as well. So I think nominal, nominally we're, we might even contract uh, growth as well. So um yeah, I'm, I'm quite concerned about those because I think uh, the other thing has been, you know, uh, as, as traders, so just putting my trader's hat, you, you, you start seeing, seeing things become more popular. You want to fade those those narratives. And um, one of the things that became popular in 2021 was inflation. But a lot of people didn't realize that inflation might be different this time because it's not it's a phenomenon that actually uh, infiltrates an economy over time and, and psychologically becomes a problem with consumers as they change their behavior. And so, you know, this, that's precisely what's going on. I think the inflation gene is out of the bottle. And so certainly, you know, you can, you can talk to people um, and, and people are concerned about prices uh, going higher uh, and outpacing their, with their earnings. And so it is, uh, you know, it's hard to believe we're not going to see, uh, you know, this, this change in, in behavior again, uh, with uh, with uh, reduction of of uh, of consumption as we go here, so you know I've been saying this a lot because I think that that's the next narrative is is that that rise and fall of the of the consumer because I think the consumer is is really at a breaking point.
Today's podcast is sponsored by TradeStation and FTSE Russell. Currently, TradeStation is running a promo just for our audience. New users are going to get 50% off brokerage fees for the lifetime of their account using the promo code F-U-T-R-A-F-Z-T. I put that in the chat. Uh, as long as they open an account by July 31st, you can go to tradestation.com slash Anthony to learn more. Are you watching the stock market, specifically the Russell 2000? The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol RTY and micro E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol M2K. To learn more about FTSE Russell and their products, please visit footsierussell.com. Now, Tavi, I want to talk about the consumer because I think that this is such an important point you're making because people think just because the market's gone up or maybe some of these inflationary uh, uh, numbers maybe may come down, maybe they have temporarily peaked or who knows, right? But people think that that's going to have just an immediate impact and like all of a sudden everything goes back to being great. Now, the one thing I've learned as a consumer when I see inflation is that prices never come down as fast as they go up. And these things take, uh, they, they take long, they have long-term effects and impacts on you know, people. It's just not something that just right away, just because all of a sudden, uh, maybe an inflation number has come down a little bit that all of a sudden people are going to be spending more money and everything is just going to get better. I think that is, you know, foolish for people to believe that things can be turned off and turned on that quickly. Um, talk to us about what you see uh, coming up as you've been talking really a lot about that you believe that the next thing that's going to, that, that the market is going to look at um, as a negative is the consumer. Yeah. And I, you know, it, it starts with, you know, you, you've got a lot of issues right now because it seems like we've got a, you know, a very tight labor market. Uh, job openings is still near record levels and labor markets is a tricky one because it's not only a lagging indicator, but you have to pay attention to the changes in the margin of those, of those indicators. And we've seen one of the largest, uh, declines in job openings uh, in the last uh, month uh, that we've seen all the way back to the COVID recession. Um, we're seeing uh, other issues with initial jobless claims is starting to trend higher after hitting, you know, I believe it was all-time lows or it was continuing jobless claims that hit all-time lows, which usually is is also a contrarian indicator. Usually when you hit lows, uh, you want to be worried about uh, those things is starting to deteriorate. So, uh, you have technology companies already down for, you know, over 12 months or so. And, uh, you know, if you're a CEO of a company, you start changing your, your tune. Uh, you know, we, we have consumer CEO confidence now at a decade low as well. And so employment should start, uh, you know, waning significantly here. And so it, it's, it's hard to believe that that's not going to have also impact on, on growth at some point in consumption too. Um, the other thing I would point out is that back in the 60s and 70s, uh, one thing we saw is that we did see the three waves of inflation, but we also saw three waves of unemployment. And so, and that's, that has a lag of about one to two years after the inflation problem deteriorates. And so here we are, you know, one or two years into the inflation problem. And, you know, we should start seeing some problems in, in labor markets very soon. Uh, but it, it's going to be hard for people to grasp just because, the narrative right now is so strong on the shortage of labor markets, and that shortage is just is just really uh, dependent on on the level of economic activity that we saw in 2021. So we're starting to see uh, layoffs already in, in in 
in technology companies, the very large companies, uh, uh, especially, you know, the, the big tech companies in general are completely slowing down their business uh, plans. And so now I'm playing, paying very close attention to most of earnings uh, release here because I think, you know, you've seen investment banking businesses decline, you know, some of them over 50% year over year. So those are very big declines. I mean, it, you know, those are, you know, you, you should be paying attention to this because it's, it's going to be, it's going to have some uh, ramification to other parts of the economy. So um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm uh, corporate bonds is another uh, part of the market that is starting to uh, show issues. Most of the issues in the markets have been really uh, pricing in duration risk and not really credit risk yet. So we haven't seen the credit, problem really be priced uh in in markets in general and we haven't seen much of the um you know even even the potential decline in in, in cash flows uh that may can actually cascade into uh re-rating of, of of equity prices and other risky assets and so i think that's yet ahead of us uh as we see the deterioration of of fundamentals that then causes issues in labor markets and obviously consumption is going to be at the top of that yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, like I said, I'm no genius, but I could see that coming. And, you know, the next thing I want to talk about is crude oil. Uh, and you put this tweet out the other day, and I'll just read it for everybody. Um, in case you think the selling pressure in oil is solely driven by recession fears, the U.S. government just sold another 27 million barrels of oil just in the last month. At this pace, strategic petroleum reserves will be zero in 18 months completely unsustainable and will end badly. Um, I remember seeing this tweet. I'm like, this is kind of crazy. Uh, talk to us about this. Well, it's probably one of the most erratic, um, you know, energy policies we've seen in, in you know, many, many decades. Um, and uh, strategically speaking, I mean, at a time when we have you no know, political risk at a probably all time highs right now or, or, I should say at a 50 year high, because, you know, we haven't seen this level of geopolitical concerns um, in, in many, many decades. And so um, it, you know, I, I think it's, it's a very, um, a very problematic from, from a, again, a, a strategic standpoint to be selling those reserves. Uh, but also I think markets are not understating, are actually understating, uh, the impact of that in, in oil markets right now. I mean, if you're selling 27 million barrels uh, of barrels of, of oil uh, in the markets right now, I mean, obviously that's having an impact on oil prices. Now, is that sustainable is the question you need to ask yourself. And um, oil markets remain very tight in terms of the supply. I'm much more involved with, with, um, with mining and I can speak much better about mining when it comes to supply. But uh, uh, the oil oil side of things is also very concerning. And so in uh, the geopolitical environment uh, is, is certainly just adding to that problem right now. So uh, um, I think we're going it, to it's going to take a while for us to see those, uh, you know, big changes in, in those markets. And usually labor, um, usually energy cycles are much shorter than other metals and uh, of metals and other parts of the commodity market. Uh, but because of the political pressure here, it's, 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 you know, it's maybe we might be onto a, a little longer cycle than usual. And so, uh, I think this is very different in 08. Um, and, uh, you know, it's going to take a long time for us to see CapEx trends, uh, increase significantly from here. 
I pulled up a chart of crude oil here and, you know, really you, you could look at this in obviously two different ways, right? I mean, depending on how you want to look at a chart, I've always said that you could look at a chart, uh, a person's point of view could be very different just from looking at the same chart. You could say, wow, we're still in this massive bull market, or you could say that crude oil is topped and we've been trending lower since. We've had lower highs and actually lower lows as of now. Um, so for me, you know, actually it's not a market I've been super active in lately because I think it's just difficult to identify trend. When I see this, I feel like the, the macro backdrop is still bullish, but nonetheless, it's it's just been trending lower, so it's a difficult trade. Um, with everything that you know that's going on, everything you've been talking about, um, and like we said, everything's just kind of you know mean reversion back. And even with that last tweet you put out in crude oil, does crude oil still have this underlying bid? Is still is still the worry still that we're going to see a big spike in crude oil, or are we just maybe even just range bound or potentially heading back lower uh, from here? Well, it's hard because that you know the sentiment was just so bullish on, on oil in general. Yeah. It kind of needed a shakeout. Even my 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 grandma was was talking about oil. <laughs> so there you have it. Um, and uh, but uh, to me, it's 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 hard to believe we're, we're you know this is the end of a move just because. Um, again, I if if you see a, a big change in, in production, you know, we know production is well below what it was at the pri at the pre-pandemic highs. We know economic activity is much higher than that. Uh and so, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm not sure this is really signaling uh at the end of a of an energy cycle. I mean this is to me just looks like a pullback in the middle of a of a move. I mean don't get me wrong. I mean we can see larger declines. You know, people take a lot of leverage on those trades and usually you see you know, it's kind of necessary to see things get cleaned up a little bit. And so here we are. But uh, a lot of the concerns from from the, the Russia and Ukraine uh, have have somewhat, uh, uh, you know, I, I would say uh, not as not as uh, not as big as they were, you know, three months ago, uh, even though the issues have not been resolved and, and, and things are still happening there. But uh, and so but I, I still think that it's. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I've been buying energy. It's it's incredible that now you have companies trading a nine percent free cash flow yield. Uh, again, I've never seen a market being a peak with a nine percent free cash flow yield. Um, usually, that marks uh, you know the beginning or the middle of a, of a bull market. And I think this is more of a middle part of the bull market to me. And uh, um, we've been allocating capital. I mean, you can find companies trading. Uh, at, uh, you know, 10, 15% dividend yields today uh, with a lot of potential for growth in terms of the price change. And so it's a, it's, it's a very interesting environment right now. I mean, I, you know, we've been adding to some of those positions and um, I think there's a lot of opportunities as well in emerging markets uh, that are, I think, neutrally uh, positioned when it comes to geopolitical uh, stance and, uh, I think there's uh, there's there are opportunities there as well, and you know very similar to what we saw coming out of uh, of the 2000 recession uh, with the tech bust, um, you know when we had declines in equity markets in the U.S. and sure emerging markets did get caught up on in, on, on those in those uh, downturns, but um, it, not not as much as you would think, right? I mean it, they carry a lot larger risk, so you would think that they would get crushed during those times that they actually didn't. They they kind of uh, held their, their ground better than than uh, 
than uh, than developed economies. And I think we're seeing something similar right now. Uh, and I think you know when we have kind of the the blue sky ahead of us, I think emerging markets are going to lead the way in a very significant way in in the next uh, you know the next uh, years ahead here, especially the ones that are commodity driven economies. You know, Brazil being being one of them. Uh, let's go over some of those names. Maybe I'll pull up a couple of them on the chart. Um, I think Petrobras is 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 interesting. I mean, it's it's trading at very uh, very cheap levels right now, and uh, it carries political risk. So uh, there's a reason. What for symbol that. is that? I don't know the symbol. Uh, PBR. PBR. Like the beer. <laughs> oh, PBR. Uh, yeah. Why it's all because I got that's why I couldn't see it. PBR. Okay. Right um, you know, that's just one, one, one play, uh, in Brazil. It's, uh, um, why do you uh, like this one? Oh, I just like the fundamentals. I think, you know, the, the refining businesses, uh, refinery businesses, uh, is, uh, is the largest in Brazil. They, they basically have a monopoly. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it may, it may have issues politically, uh, here and there. I mean, I, I think most of the political issues in Brazil are priced in, uh, I like Brazil because I think it's been ahead of the curve when it comes to inflation. It's been one of the few economies that have raised interest rates or central banks that have raised interest rates uh, drastically in, in response to the inflationary problem. And so as we see developed economies catching up to uh, to that curve and uh, hitting a wall, uh, once they hit a wall, I, I believe you know we may see emerging markets really do very well. So I've been accumulating some of those uh, of, of companies uh, in, in the emerging markets. I think Petrobras uh, falls into that category. Um, I would say, no, but I'm not an energy expert, so I have a large basket of a lot, a lot of liquid names. I like AMLP uh, with most of the uh, um, uh, uh, most companies that, that actually actually a part of the ETF. Uh, they have a, a very large uh, dividend yield as well. We used to be short those those companies back in in 2014, 2015, because they had very negative uh, free cash flow balances with very large dividends. Today, we're quite the opposite. They pay very large dividends, but they make a lot of money. And uh, MLPs are uh, a structure that is is attractive to us just from a valuation perspective and also fits into our macro views. I like to own most of the large companies from ExxonMobil, Chevron, and so forth. Uh, we we have positions in all of those, and we like we love to own the the EMP as uh, EMP companies as well, the exploration and production companies. But again, it's a very different play than mining because we own most of the large uh, large businesses uh, that are uh, that have uh, more established uh, uh, free cash flow generation kind of companies. Um, and um, I think the play is very different than mining, just because of the the length of the cycle and and uh, and the the clear uh, a push against oil companies in the future may actually uh, come to fruition at some point. And so it's hard for me to take a, a stance of of buying very illiquid small cap companies in this space. And so I like to be liquid. And uh, but it's a macro play where you know I I do think uh, most of energy companies. Uh, we'll do better. We'll continue to do better than the markets. Let's move on and talk about gold and silver. Obviously, you and I have talked a lot about gold and silver uh, in the past. Uh, I read a lot of your stuff on it. Um, it's obviously no secret. Anyone that follows you knows that you really are 
um, you know, been and have been uh, gold and silver bull. Uh, you talk a lot about it with what you're seeing right now, with everything you talked about, what are your thoughts on gold and silver now? Um, I think we're getting close to a, a, a big change here in terms of uh, policy stance. And I don't think we're there yet, but I think we're maybe in the seventh inning of, of, uh, of, uh, of hiking and uh, also uh, tightening um, cycle. Uh, and so, you know, we've, we've had a, you know, I think the dollar looks, looks mostly overextended, uh, especially short in, in medium term um, relative to, other uh, currencies like the euro and the Japanese yen, um, and so there's a chance for 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 that to have some relief. I think we've had a big change in uh, in interest rates that also uh, has been very important. And I think the biggest signal to me is is yield curve inversions. I just posted right now that about 53% of the Canada's yield curve, and, and you know if you look at all possible spreads in in all uh, yields in in Canada, the trade. Uh, you can see that we have about 53% of them are actually inverted today, you know, and that compared to other times in history, when we reached those levels, uh, it coincided or proceeded to uh, 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 significant declines in, 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 commod in, uh, in, uh, in economy. And so it's, it's hard to believe we're not going to see something similar here. I think the credit markets are starting to, uh, you know, to express uh, their views uh, very uh, clearly. Uh, and, and so that's why we're seeing a lot of those inversions. Uh, and uh, I always thought it was more constructive to look at inversions uh, uh, in, in a different way rather than picking and choosing spreads, just looking at the entire yield curve uh, and seeing how many of those spreads are inverted. And why am I talking about this is because yield curve inversions, when you have very large of uh, degree of inversions, usually that is also linked to uh, economic uh, weakness and fragility in the system that usually tends to uh, cause the Federal Reserve to um, to uh, either pause or reverse its its, uh, its policies uh, that are usually aligned with tightening policies that tend to reverse or or be paused. And so that that should be positive for gold. And usually, you know, those inversions are also linked to uh, you know big appreciations in, in gold prices. And uh, and so to me, it's uh, it's time to be start looking at those because it's uh, and I've been you know we've been allocating capital mostly in in um, in small cap uh, companies because to me that's really where the opportunity lies ahead is is buying you know companies that I think are going to be world class discoveries uh, you know and they're trading uh, for very cheap multiples because the market simply does not understand uh, the the industry very well and so. Uh, you know, when you see a very high probability of success in exploration uh, being priced below, you know, 20, 30 million market cap uh, on something that could potentially be worth billions of dollars. I mean, it's it's kind of a no brainer uh, to uh, to build a, a large position. So we've been acquiring 20 percent, 10 of 20 percent stake in most companies that we think are going to be, um, you know, in that in that uh, position in the following years. And, uh, you know, that's to me, that's really where it's kind of like buying a ton of call option in gold, but not only gold, it's not only linked to gold prices, but also linked to the success of those companies in terms of their exploration program. So it's a long answer, but uh, yeah, I'm very bullish as, as usual on, on precious metals. It's kind of a static position to me in the portfolio. I'm always looking for different ways to uh, add to that position. And it's actually been doing very well, despite 
the decline in gold prices and decline in in, in miners. The miners are down 50 percent or so uh, from their highs. Um, and uh, in I, I'm talking about the junior miners, the GDXJ ETF. And uh, our portfolio is still up about 100 and uh, close to 150 uh, percent since since those levels. And so that's mostly because of those uh, success uh, discoveries that we've had over the last two years. I'm actually going to pull up. Somebody made a comment uh, about something about an SGD. I don't know where that ties into. They said somebody said props with the SGD. Also, oh, it's a gold corp. So I actually worked out. I didn't know the symbol. Well, um, SGD just for people that don't know is is probably onto, uh, you know, what we think is probably the largest gold discovery in North America um, of of the last uh, decades. And so, you know, this company is is uh, basically um, have a lot of optionality, which is why I love it. Um, we own full disclosure. We own over 20% of this. Uh, so, you know, it's a large exposure for us and, um, uh, and 20% of the company. And so, um, you know, clearly we have a view about where this is going and we think this is going to be, uh, they're going to be putting out results, uh, hopefully soon. I don't know when, I think I know that most of the drill results are in the labs, uh, but I don't know when they're going to be putting those out. And uh, we're very, very optimistic that they're going to, you know, that we're probably on to, uh, you know, a multi-million uh, ounce deposit of uh, very economically viable in the Yukon area. Uh, and not only that, I mean, there's there's optionality of, of owning other properties and other projects that are also just as interesting as this one. So basically, you're just seeing the success of one project. Uh, really um, coming to fruition right now. And there's a lot more to go. So it's a very well-run company. And uh, just one example of something that we have done very well investing uh, over over the last years. Very interesting. Uh, thank you for sharing it. I, I, I want to go to silver because we're pretty much almost out of time here. And then I'm going to um, let you actually answer this question uh, that, that Christopher actually put out talking about kind of, coinciding with the SGD. He said, once inflation goes above 5%, it has never come back down without the Fed funds rate exceeding the CPI. I think he says this is what Druck, Druck said. Uh, yeah. Would you agree or disagree? Um, I, I think, well, I agree with the fact uh, because it, it is a fact. Now, do I think do I think the Fed will be able to chase CPI rates? Um, I would say no. I actually think um, I actually think the Fed is is uh, much more in a box than a lot of people think. I think if we see rates go up to six percent, for instance, I think we're going to see a major, major decline in equity markets until we see we get there. And uh, it's hard to believe that that's, that wouldn't cause the Fed to uh, to pause those rate hikes in the middle. And so, um, you know, we're we're just seeing um, <clears throat> so far we've seen a you know. From the lows, Nasdaq was down somewhere close to 30%, 34%, I believe. Uh, S&P down a little over 20%. So we haven't really seen the true damage, even though you also see damage in bond market, uh, in corporate bond market too. Uh, so treasuries and global bonds, fixed income in general has been coming down along with equity markets, which is kind of interesting uh, from a you know popular portfolio positioning perspective because everyone is 
long the 60-40 types of portfolios. And so to me, uh, you know, if we're going to go there, I think everything is going to collapse. And so I, I don't think, I think, I think the Federal Reserve and central banks usually always go back to uh, uh, the inflation route. Um, and uh, at some point here, I don't, I don't think, you know, the, the, the trifecta of macro imbalances were not the case in this in the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, and two thousands, and so, um, and they are certainly the case today. And so, I I, I don't think we're going to see uh, that. And so, um, I'm not that I'm batting against that. I, it's just if you ask my opinion, I think we're going to see a different setup this time, where actually uh, the Fed is going to have to. Uh, uh, not raise interest rates above CPI this time. Interesting. Um, last thing we'll talk about is silver. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about silver and gold together, although they are two very different <laughs> things. Um, are you feel the same way about silver as you do in gold, or just what are your thoughts on silver? Well, I mean, I I I love silver. I think I think silver remains. You know, I I don't change my opinion there because it's. Uh, it's gotten cheaper um, recently and, uh, you know, still is uh, a very attractive metal in general. We know the supply proposition is is very constrained in general. Uh, we know that the demand for solar panels uh, especially should should in increase drastically in the next, uh, uh, call it three years or so, especially coming from China. Um, and it's a monetary metal that, you know, that should also benefit from uh, increasing in gold prices here. And so silver tends to um, to surprise people in general. They like to look at technicals and so forth. And it's it's just a brutal battle to trade because it just does exactly the opposite than you think it's going to do. <laughs> and so I think the best way to do it is to own, um, you know, we're, we're basically chasing what we think are going to be the largest silver deposits in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, what we think it's, it's really leveraged to silver prices from a price perspective. And so, uh, you know, you asked me about gold uh, just now, and, uh, you know, you look at the gold to silver ratio. I mean, it's, it's just that the levels that we, we, you know, truly historic right now. So um, it's a time to be allocating capital there. And it, it has been the time for, for maybe two years or so. Um, and um, I don't think it's time to be losing focus. And so we continue very focused on that. I think Green Revolution Silver is going to be a critical metal here. Um, in fact, it is considered what they call a critical metal too. And so it fits into the Green Revolution uh, agenda very, very much so. Um, but uh, hey, you know, if you start seeing things like Snowline Gold, the SGD that you were looking at, the chart, uh, you know, types of discoveries in gold. Uh, uh, that might push the price of gold down. <laughs> I'm, not, yeah. I'm actually not joking. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, those are those that's are, a true supply and demand uh, situation. That's a supply and demand uh, situation, no doubt. But uh, I'm I'm obviously joking that that's not the reason yeah. why gold is lower. But uh, um, you know, I kind of hope that I'm right on this at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the only question I have for you before I let you go about the silver is: is I understand everything you're saying. But it also, I'm, I'm wondering if we have the slowdown um, that you think it's going to have with the consumer, how does that really push the demand for silver going forward? If all of a sudden everything is going to be slowing down, we're in a recession, doesn't it kind of work against it in a way? 
Well, it could, but but it's important to remember 1973-74 when we had that crash in the stagflationary environment, going back to your question about how assets performed during those times. And I think a lot of us are just going back to 08 and 2000 and not really know looking back further in, in inflationary regimes and seeing how this really plays out because um mo most of the times especially during those times a, a silver actually performed very well uh, miners actually went up fivefold while markets came down about 48 percent and so and gold performed very well too so it's it's uh you know uh, it's tricky you know uh, do yeah. you really want to bet um you know short silver um knowing knowing that that's that's exactly precisely what happened during 73 74 um no it's it's not my play i think silver is extremely undervalued uh today um especially relative to you know other inflationary times uh in history and so you know at some point i think we're going to see a major appreciation of the metal it's just uh you know uh, i think we've seen a, a big change in uh in in, uh, in in the Fed policy stance as a whole, that probably had a, a big impact in in, in silver. Um, you know, I wish I had that that thought. You know, a year ago, but uh, here we are. And uh, you know, I think I think my job as an investor is to identify long term trends and and take advantage of them if I think they're cheap. And you know, being able to buy, you know, we're we're, we're looking at buying acquiring. A silver asset right now uh, that is a producer that is trading basically at one time, you know, free cash flow. I mean, what an opportunity! One time free cash flow, you know. I mean, annual free cash flow. Companies making over four hundred million dollars in free cash flow. Um, you know, there's not a lot of, of opportunities like that in the markets today. So, also on top of a, a major silver discovery, and it's still a private company. So. Um, you know, this is the type of opportunity you see in, in markets like this. And so I'm very excited. I'm just fully full. While people are, are worried about the silver price and so forth, I'm just taking advantage of it. I'm trying to buy as much as I can and be as smart as I can uh, before a big move. And so because I think it's inevitable. And uh, once that comes, I think the people that are very well positioned, accumulated assets over time are going to do very well. So that's really my goal. So accumulate properties and uh, and, and, and companies that I think are going to have major discoveries in the future and producers that are trading at very cheap levels. So uh, if that answers your question. I mean, that's really where where yeah. my strategy is. Yeah, well, no, I, I love your work. I love the confidence in your work. Uh, you know, and to me, that's why, you know, I like to talk with people like you to understand what you're thinking. Uh, you're never telling anyone what to think. You're always teaching us how to think and really clear explanations as to why you believe uh, and what you believe in. And once again, I, I can't thank you enough uh, for your time. It's always great to speak with you. Uh, let everybody know uh, where they could uh, find you on Twitter uh, and give everybody a website to check out. Um, you can look for my work at Tavi Costa on Twitter or Cresket.net uh, um, is our website where you can find letters and so forth. And uh, for people that don't follow your work on Instagram, I, I see you every now and then. I'm not on Instagram all the time, but I see you, you on Instagram. You put out some really good videos. Congrats. And uh, it's, a, it's very high quality stuff. And I wish uh, more people would watch it. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, follow, 
follow Anthony there as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, uh, Jen, who helps me with my Instagram. I'm more of a Twitter uh, person, and Jen helps me with Instagram, and she does a fantastic job. So, yeah. Jen, this is a shout out to you. Thank you guys uh, so yeah. much. And, and like I said, Tavi, I, I'm always learning something from you, and you slowed me down right now. You know, it's funny. I look at the price action. I see things. You know, I, I like to talk with you, to, to, and I don't. I don't always like to. Um, I want to be proven wrong. Like you always say that as well. You say, I'm happy to be proven wrong, but this is what I see. And just hearing from you today, you slowed me down, understood once again, the macro environment that we're in, understand that not a lot of things have, have really changed. And you gave us some good things to look forward to, uh, to, to, to know if the environment does change, what, what things we should be looking at. So thank you so much, my friend. Uh, enjoy your summer. Uh, I think we're going to hopefully have some quiet downtime in August. I think after this Fed meeting and maybe a little bit of time uh, to take off. So if you are doing that, uh, I wish you all the best. And uh, thank you again so much for your time, my friend. I really appreciate it every time. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate having a conversation with you. So thanks. All right, everybody. Have a good day. I'll see you guys live again next week. See ya. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Never miss an episode. Go to anthonycrudelli.com and get on our email list for show notifications and for free content that is exclusively for subscribers. Also on anthonycrudelli.com, you will find tons of videos and education on trading futures, options, and crypto. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Opinions expressed are solely my own and my guests, and they do not express the views or opinions of my sponsors. Future's radio show is produced by Crudelli Productions.